We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 437 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and this week is all about Manchester United. So if you're looking for any Villarreal recap, that's available both on YouTube as my five headlines and the last episode as audio with a little preamble there in as well. And to help me preview Manchester United, though, is a football aficionado and one of my fellow broadcasters, and I should also say friend, Tom Verdi. Tom, now you and I do talk a plenty, but I'm honestly not sure how long it's been since we talked about Barca and United. Maybe the 2011 Champions League final. That's really maybe how far we're going back on this. And even though it's now just the Europa League, I am glad to be talking about uh, Barcelona United again. And also welcome to the show. Thanks. I appreciate you having me on. But yeah, I think, uh, you know, kind of with good reason, probably there's, you know, it's been a bit of a gap for these two teams, kind of the, you know, two giants that have sort of been surpassed in the league at times over the last several years. And, you know, certainly for United, it's kind of been uphill since Sir Alex Ferguson departed and massive, massive shoes to fill. And I think they had been just trying to do that ever since and never quite found the the right man to do it or maybe never gave the right man the right amount of years and patience and time to do it. I think, you know, Arsenal is kind of seeing that nicely with Mikel Arteta, even though, you know, people were calling for his head about a year ago that it kind of proves what patience and time and letting him have a few years to get his team set up can do. So, you know, it seems maybe now United have figured that out under the current man in Ten Hag. And, you know, that's sort of the the dream for me, at least. But at the very least, they're playing a much more attractive and competitive brand of football that we haven't seen for the last couple of years with them. So that's uh, at a minimum, that seems like a huge bonus. Well, I think for both these fan bases, too, I, I can tell you, I'll, I'll be talking about it tomorrow on the YouTube preview that hypocrites and hypocrisy will be abound everywhere on the internet, because the same people that cry and say the Europa League is not the Champions League and Barca and United are failures are the same fans that are going to say, well, the winner of this one proves who is superior in Europe because of the form that both these teams are in. Barcelona leading the Liga, of course, by what is 11 points, likely eight points by the time that game happens because Real Madrid get to beat up on Elche. And then United, very similarly, I think they're third place for a reason. I, I think they've, of what I've seen in the Premier League, they're the third best team in, in the English Premier League and they deserve to be where they are. So you know, I, as far as where we're going to start, I will not be starting with Eric Ten Hag. We're going to get to Marcus Rashford, so you have to pay attention a little bit longer yeah. in the show for that. So where we should start, though, is I think who is available for squads. Because Kool-Aid's no, and I've heard a lot of Kool-Aid say, without Busquets, without Dembele, two consummate starters, two 
players who are vital to the way that Xavi has now built this system with the four midfielders and the importance that Demele has had all season, that could be the end of Barcelona tactically. But Manchester United aren't necessarily at full strength either. They're missing Marcel Zabitzer and Lissandra Martinez through suspension, the long-term injuries of Donny van de Beek and Christian Eriksen, and the minor injuries of Scott McTominay, Anthony Martial. And I've also seen Anthony might be missing this, Matt. So first things first, did I get all that right that I miss everybody? And of that bunch, who do you think Eric Ten Hag would have liked to have for this fixture? Because looking on paper, at least for me, it seems like Martinez, Eriksen, and Anthony are all also starters. So for Barcelona to miss their two, seems like United are also missing three. Yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, Eriksen, I think he kind of proved early on how important he was to this team. You know, I think most people probably didn't project him as being kind of a nailed on 70 minutes per game starter and playing almost every match when he was healthy. But he really provided a nice balance in the midfield, something creative to kind of play alongside guys like Casemiro and Fred and provide a different ball playing outlet, a much more creative outlet, obviously. So yeah, he's definitely a big loss. Lissandro Martinez, also a big loss. Although, you know, Harry Maguire, to his credit, has actually played fairly well. Um, You know, I think especially since the World Cup, when he's been given a couple of chances, he has played well. But yeah, to me, the the strength of this team in the back line has been when it's been, you know, Varane and Martinez starting side by side. So, you know, another interesting loophole is that Ten Hag has also used Luke Shaw quite a bit at left center back when Martinez was unavailable from the World Cup, returning late, things like that from Argentina's victory. So I suppose that's always another option that he could go with. And then that would bring a guy like Tyrell Malicia in at left back instead. But yeah, I think, you know, regardless of the way that he will eventually go, you know, you mentioned Sebitzer also, the guy who basically was they were hoping would replace Ericsson kind of seamlessly that late, you know, end of the window add on quickly right at the end of the month after they found out the Ericsson news. So definitely a blow in midfield. And luckily Casemiro is back. He is, has a Premier League suspension right now, but he will be back for the Champions League, obviously. So definitely expect to see him alongside Fred. And then what he does with the third midfield option, I guess, is kind of uh, up to him. You know, Jaden Sancho is sort of slowly returning back. He's been out for a while, but, you know, maybe it allows him to be on the field at the same time as Bruno Fernandez and Rashford and, you know, Weghorst up top as well. So a lot of lot of different options there. But yeah, I think if you asked him to pick his, his best 11, this there's definitely a few holes in it for this matchup for sure. Well, Tom, you definitely set, you basically set my prediction 11 segment on fire later in the show. <laughs> we'll have to rehash that later. Yeah. And a lot of the names that you've mentioned sprinkled out as we try to have a nuanced conversation about tactics, you've named a lot of the players that will certainly contribute to that. And again, moving on from the players that will be missing again, Anthony as well. I just want to mention that we'll get to it in a second, but I think with Anthony not being there and Sancho, we are talking a little bit about how Barcelona may be able to play a higher line due to less happening on the right. But again, we're, we're jumping ahead there because you mentioned the name I want to talk about next. Before we do Ten Hawk, because I think that's going to be a conversation about tactics, I do want to talk about Casemiro, somebody that Kool-Aids are very, very familiar with. And I think before, again, this is even before we get to Marcus Rashford, I, it's crazy for me to say because Rashford is going to be the player, you know, tomorrow on YouTube when I try to hit the thumbnail go viral, you always put Rashford on the cover. Yeah. That's the name to talk about. But for me, watching Casemiro pre-United and then post-United, or should I say United pre-Casemiro and and post-Casemiro, I I feel like Ten Hag's ideas lead directly to discussing the impact that he has. Because the form that United are in, I mean, they have not lost since Casemiro, with Casemiro, I should say, since the start of November, because he did not play in that Arsenal 3-2 loss in January. So when I went back to watch that game, I'm saying, well, it seems like the issues that Manchester United have in that game 
would have been sold by Casemiro. So I'm, I mean, I'm arguing that this version of United with Casemiro, and they have not lost since November. I mean, the only team at, in Europe who has a better record in the top five leagues is Barcelona, who has not lost since the middle of October against Bayern Munich. So, I mean, just how important is Casemiro? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, it's a really interesting point given that Marcus Rashford's form and how on fire he is, that you could even possibly try to say someone else on United this season has been the MVP or just as important maybe or the most important player, however you want to look at it. But yeah, I, I certainly think Casemiro has firmly put himself in that position. You know, I'm not sure what United fans expected from him. I mean, I certainly expected him to be a solidifying force in midfield, but I think, you know, given his age and everything else, with a big contract coming in, what, you know, maybe people were going to question his motivation, how rock solid would he be in midfield? But I think he's been, you know, everything they, they could have possibly dreamed for. This team for too long has had a, a bunch of guys in the midfield who aren't really a six, but they're not really an eight. And like, where do they fit? And kind of trying to fit these maybe square pegs into round holes, however you want to say it, things like that. But yeah, just the way that he solidifies in front of the back four so good, so smooth as well in shuttling the ball at times when they need him to do some of that. But, you know, we talked about him playing next to Erickson before and just kind of really freed up Erickson to to do what he does creatively and be a, a possession winner without obviously needing to be in the tackle, which you don't really expect from him at all. And uh, even further up the field, if it's, you know, Bruno, who's kind of the third midfielder, quote unquote, it frees him up as well. So just the work that he does. But yeah, you're right. The record with and without him kind of speaks for itself. The goals against with and without him kind of speaks for itself. You know, I think without him in the 11 matches, they're seven and four and they haven't lost, uh, you know, that many matches in the 20 plus games. I think it is that he has been with them or, you know, it's 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 pretty stark numbers like that. So it was even to the point where I wondered if they would appeal that suspension and risk the fourth game being added on just because I thought that's how important he is to this team and losing him for three games in the Premier League seemed like such a huge loss for that team. But yeah, he's been sensational. He's even chipped in some goals more than I thought he would. He's been getting forward in set pieces. He's got a couple as he scored uh, in the cup a couple, you know, in the last week or two. So yeah, he's been a dream signing. And, you know, I think the question for them is how long can this form keep up? And, you know, hopefully at the very least, it's uh, the rest of the season and, and looking forward. So. Well, I will put on the record, of course, that I, I wouldn't say I even respect him, but I understand just how valuable he is and just how important he is. And it is nice to see finally for a player I hate so much to be finally earning red cards. You know, it was cool yeah. to watch for a long, long time in Spain. Those Spanish refs were afraid to give him red. So I'm glad that he's finally getting those red cards. But uh, yeah, I, I say that in jest. But again, Casemiro is going to be, I mean, I said to you over text, and I guess I'll admit it to everybody here on the show that I think he probably is the best defensive midfielder in world football over the last five years. I mean, you yeah. can't argue with with the success that Real Madrid had with him. And then just not say that Chuamani is such a step down, but what they look like in control. It's just what he allows you to do in controlling a game. And speaking of that control and tactics and being that that manager on the field, Eric Ten Hag, you kind of mentioned yeah. it before about Alice Ferguson. And I wrote the same thing myself, that looking from the outside in, it seems to me to agree with you that Ten Hag seems to be the best thing on the Manchester United sideline since Sir Alex himself. Yeah. As I said, third place in the Premier League, not just getting the results, earning those results in the EPL and being a fair assessment of where they belong. And before we do talk about tactics, because I do want to talk about the numbers and the X and O's, and I think so much of what Tanhag is, is that, right? It seems like he is the, the brain more than he is the guy that goes in the locker room and, and does the, the Sean Dice thing and says, hey, everybody, let's run through that brick wall and we'll get some results. 
So yeah, what has Ten Hag done as far as the man management part of it that you kind of weren't expecting that has helped steady that shift? Because I think for United, you have to have both. You have to have the tactics and you have to be able to run a locker room. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Yeah, I mean, I think straight away, he had two really big decisions to make, and he made them both with masterclass to me, which was dropping Ronaldo and dropping Maguire from the starting lineup as soon as he came in, right from the jump, basically. And, you know, I think a lot of fans of not only world football, but also United fans have sort of understood the the limits that Ronaldo has and what playing him up top means in terms of, you know, being able to press and his defensive work rate and things like that and how that can kind of kind of be limiting as well. And, you know, he scored a ton of goals last last season. You know, there's no doubt about that. But the question is, you know, were United really a better team for him always having to be up there and always having to worry about facilitating and getting him the ball and whipping crosses into him in the box kind of as that lone man up top. And and same with Maguire, you know, the price tag and him being the captain and all these other things. It's 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 very intimidating, I guess, at times for a manager to have to make a big call and drop a guy like that, even when he's maybe not performing at his best. And I think even Harry Maguire would probably tell you he wasn't performing at his best for United. And so, yeah, he made two really big calls and uh, he got them both spot on. Obviously, Ronaldo wound up flaming out even further and kind of burning all his bridges at United and and then eventually leaving with that mutual contract termination. And Maguire, to his credit, has kind of stuck around and had a pretty good World Cup, I thought, and has, has looked a little bit rejuvenated since then. But yeah, so right off the bat, two huge decisions for Ten Hag. And I thought that kind of immediately put his stamp on the team and showed the kind of manager that he wants to be. And then, you know, even other things like, you know, Rashford in scorching form and he sits him for the first half because he overslept and missed a team meeting. And instead of that becoming a huge storyline, Rashford comes on the second half, he scores a big goal for them. And then in the post game, he owns up to it. I messed up. I made a mistake. Coach was right to sit me. 
And nice of Ten Hag to still get him on in the second half. And, you know, he made a contribution. So to me, the, the man management, that's where that kind of comes in as well. That's been great. Even with Anthony, you know, I, he hasn't really started on fire, maybe like some people were hoping. And even Ten Hag has kind of said, you know, he's a young player. He's in a new league. He's in a new country, a new language, everything. We have to try to give him some time to acclimate. So, you know, to me, he's he's done and said everything um, the right way. Even with Anthony Martial, another guy who's kind of been a maybe cut one of the most unhappy figures at United at times over the last few seasons. He's kind of said all the right things about Martial as well and how hard he works in training. And, you know, when he's been healthy, he's tried to get him in and involved. And I think Martial definitely has some use for this team for sure uh, when he is healthy. So hopefully, you know, that can, that continues for for them and for him as well. But yeah, I think definitely the man management and making some of those big decisions has been an early strength of, of this Ten Hag team. Well, certainly when you talk about Ronaldo, I think it's perfectly this in the tactics too, because the Ronaldo problem at United seemed to be the same one that Barcelona had in the final days of Luis Suarez. That while Luis Suarez, club legend, you know he's going to bang in goals. You know that yeah. in theory, those numbers are going to come. But from a game-to-game basis and the different phases of play, what did Ronaldo offer that even, uh, it was we're about to talk about with Veghurst, that Veghurst offers you that Ronaldo yeah. didn't. And both in possessions and on the counter press, there were things that Ronaldo wasn't doing. In possession, he wasn't showing yeah. the way he needed to. And he really isn't that outlet if, if they're going to hoof it forward. And the same thing on that counter press, he's not necessarily going to be the, the, the guy at this point in his career that's going to be able to run onto those balls and be that outlet that they would want him to be. So I think there are, as we kind of mentioned, there obviously you either have the ball or you don't. So talking about Ten Hag tactics, I think let's break it up in that way. In possession, which if we're trying to preview the Barca match is interesting because I think, I don't know how possession is going to go down, to be honest. The first time as I talk about Barcelona here, even looking back to their last game against Villarreal, that was a game that Barcelona outplayed Villarreal, but they did not have the lion's share of possession, but they were the better team in that game. They lost the possession battle 54, or 50, yeah, 54-46. And I think a lot of, neutrals, if you will. I, I expect to hear a lot of this chatter from United fans or Arsenal fans or Liverpool fans who are finally tuning into Barca for the first time this season. And they're going to say, hey, how come Barcelona aren't the Barcelona we know who want 80 to 90% of possession? In theory, they do. And as you know, with, with Ten Hag, he's the same way. He would love 80 or 90% of possession. But I think both he and Xavi are kind of pragmatists in the way that they understand that we have to kind of game by game and opponent by opponent figure out, do we need all that possession or can we, do they have a weakness that we can exploit in a different way? So in possession, as far as the way that United play, to me, it looks like a 4-2-3-1 while defending and then a bit of a, I want to say it's a 3-1-5-1 in buildup. And we're seeing a lot of these 3-2-5 things. United, I mean, City play it, or Manchester City, I should say. And I guess you could say PSG play it, Barcelona play it. It seems like the teams that are on the front foot are playing with five up top, if you will. But United, interesting enough, don't have the two. They have a 3 one 5 one in build up with Veghurst being the the outlet up top. So it you know, we will talk about how the counter will be pivotal in this game, but it's not the only way that United want to play. So that's why we're talking possession first. Because it seemed like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer just played a counterattacking style. That yeah. was the way he wanted to do it. Didn't work out. But again, like Xavi, Ten Hag seems much better at adapting to the opponent on a per game basis. Would you say all that is fair to play, including with the free roles that Rashford, Casemiro, and Bruno Fernandez seem to occupy to add that little bit of chaos as well in the buildup. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. For sure, yeah, I think with Solskjaer, there was a lot more of the kind of swashbuckling, counterattacking United style of old that we kind of saw at times with Sir Alex Ferguson, those lightning quick counters. 
and getting those star wingers and forwards out on the break and things like that. And, you know, I think for a while that sort of endeared Solskjaer to the United fans because mm-hmm. he kind of brought that style back. And then that was kind of the opposite with, you know, when Ralph Ranić came in because it was more of a structured, you know, he loved that 4-2-2-2 kind of thing that is, is happening in a lot of the Red Bull stuff and the pressing and everything was very much an exact science, I would say, whereas Solskjaer was more of a, a, a vibes manager, I guess, if that yeah. makes sense. So, you know, that was kind of a big change for sure. And I think Ten Hag, I think pragmatic is a good way to put it. I know you kind of use that word. But yeah, I think he is very comfortable having this team work on the counter. And, you know, we, we see it against teams like Arsenal and City in the league this year when they're not going to have possession. But anytime you can get Bruno or or Marcus Rashford out into open space, that can really change things. And that can really put the other team back on their heels. And then you look at these, you know, most recent two matches for United, this sort of weird double fixture against Leeds. And United did have most of the possession. And, you know, to be fair, I think they missed Ericsson. Uh, that's, that's, that was one of my big takeaways. I know it's going to take, you know, Sabitzer a couple of, of weeks probably to really kind of get into the system. But yeah, without him, without Casemiro, I just thought they looked a little bit lacking in midfield. Fred on his own is kind of, he's, uh, he doesn't really do enough in possession. And, you know, he, he is obviously, you know, great work rate for him, but um, yeah, still leaves something to be desired. So yeah, I think, They've been better, certainly, at breaking teams down, you know, when those lower league teams will sit deep and and sit 10 behind the ball, the two blocks of four, things like that. I think Ten Hag's teams have been better at breaking those down than some of his predecessors have been. But yeah, I think even in some ways, it almost feels like they're very comfortable when they have to go back to that counterattacking style, just because they know they have a couple of really key guys that they can get going forward in space with speed. Even Garnacho, as we'll probably talk about at some point, is another one of these guys who looks like he just wants to run at teams. When, and if you can get him the ball in space or at his feet, 1v1 one one down, the, down the left side, it's, uh, it's something that could lead to a goal. So at times it's almost, it almost feels easier for them to sort of lean back on that counterattacking style when they have to. But And you also mentioned, too, the, the back three and kind of pushing – up those fullbacks. That's also been a huge part of his style. That's, I think, you know, obviously the reason that we've seen Dalo at right back preferred over Juan Basaka because of what he can do in terms of the final third and getting good crosses in. And for Luke Shaw as well, playing as good as he's played in a United shirt, I would say, from left back, consistently getting goal contributions, getting forward, but also still looks sturdy enough defensively. So yeah, they, they also try to utilize him going forward in that situation when they do have the ball and he can be another asset to try to help uh, unlock teams down that left side. Well, I would argue that I think for a United fan, the thing that I would be most afraid of about Barcelona is that high press that Barcelona has. And we'll say some of the parts of United along that back line, but in particular De Gea, how De Gea, I think, yeah. struggle a bit to get the ball and to find that free man on the wing in a way that Ter Stegen is just pretty elite at. He's elite at picking that being Ter Stegen, picking out that free man on the wing and getting forward. And then I think Baran and Araujo are kind of, their ability to break the press is a bit of a wash. You know, I, that's almost an, even there. But I, I think I do trust Barca a bit more to get through that pressure than I do the Red Devils. Because even for Casemiro, going back to his Real Madrid days, it was handed off to Modric and Cruz who were coming to yeah. drop deep to then build up out of possession. So that would be where I would, if I was a United fan, be a little afraid of what Barca is going to bring to the table. But on the other side of that, to talk about what I think is going to make United most dangerous, that is now we're talking about the counter press. That is Manchester United's ability to create counters by winning the second ball through Vakehurst up top, 
swarm the and this is interesting too because barcelona they tend to have their numerical advantages on the left side and then switch play over to the right which is he was demele it's not going to be rafinha but for united it's different it's you try to win that second ball from veghurst when he comes over to the right and then you win that second ball underneath him and then switch play over to the left where marcus rashford now time to talk about rashford here 21 goals eight assists across all competitions 34 appearances and talking about just what's changed with him, what's improved with him. Because again, I think the whole idea of, of Manchester United is getting Rashford open in space on that left side and attacking on that that switch, usually from Bruno Fernandez. We'll, we'll get to him in a second as well. And I just want to throw into the wrinkle that I'm not sure if Xavi won't start Araujo at right back instead of Koundé and switch those two as he's done against Real Madrid, where it was Vinny Jr. on that right side. So Araujo went out to play right back. Because he's that being Xavi, not as concerned with needing Kunde pushing forward because you're the, the emphasis should be about trying to pin Rashford as deep as possible just because of how lethal he is. And obviously, with Barcelona playing the highest average line in Europe at 51.44 meters, now playing a high line in La Liga is different than the EPL. Totally fair, I get it. <laughs> so there might be some adjustments there, but yeah, I mean, how important I, I kind of just gave you the answer, but. Yeah, I mean, just how important has Rashford been? But for you, I think the more important thing is he's been around for quite a few seasons now, 25 years old. Why is this the year that we have seen such a big leap from him? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it is a good question. And it kind of sounds maybe silly to say, but in most ways to me, I think it really boils down to confidence. I think last season he was consistently putting himself in pretty good positions to score and the goals weren't coming for him. And again, I think maybe there's some added pressure with Ronaldo being in the middle of if he's cutting in from the left side, does he feel an extra need to maybe pass it to Ronaldo to keep him happy? Or, you know, does that kind of play into his mind at all? But, you know, I think at this point this season and and maybe the World Cup kind of helped that as well. Kind of, he just seems to be full of confidence since that World Cup, obviously, as we know. And, you know, the way he's, I think, scored in almost every game at Old Trafford since the World Cup, and he's got these goal streaks going. It's it's just been incredible to watch. But yeah, mostly from the left, likes to cut in, obviously, to open things up on that right foot. That's kind of been his bread and butter there. But yeah, I mean, at this point, too, you mentioned his age, how many important first team games he has under his belt, really. You know, everything is just there for him to kind of be this player now. He has the experience. He has a manager who believes in him. I think the formation and the way they play is kind of now almost geared around him. As you said, a lot of it is trying to get him involved, get him working down that left side. And again, they just they just don't have that target forward who's kind of demanding quite the same amount of attention up top. And so even with Veghorst coming in, you know, we've seen him get subbed out of games and Rashford will slide central. And then that can bring in a guy like Carnacho on the left, or, you know, uh, we've seen, I guess we, we've seen him a little bit flexible along the front three, mostly on the left, but that is another wrinkle, I guess, at times that, you know, even later in a game maybe could be used as well, where they shift Rashford to that central forward area. And, you know, Veghorst and his hold-up ability is maybe not as needed at that point in the game. So it kind of allows them to be even more free-flowing up top or even more counter-attacking. And they can kind of lean on their speed and how quickly they can get up the field that way uh, when they slide him uh, to center forward as well. Well, stay, staying up top, the wild card, I think, for Barcelona is, is Kessie. Will it be Pedri and De Jong in that little double pivot that Xavi has put? Or will it be, as like we saw against Real? Will it be Kessie? I think you're going to see a bit more. I, 
I, I don't know. I mean, I think Pedri might drop in. Again, that is, I think, the wild card decision that Xavi has to make here. I think it's not going to be Ansu or Ferran Torres or a traditional left winger. It's going to be Gabi as that inside forward on the left with Balde pushing forward. On the other side, though, for United, you kind of already mentioned, we do expect Jadon Santo to start on the right side. And I think for United, looking at that 11, he is kind of the wild card there. Yes, of course, what Rashford or Bruno Fernandes is going to do. But for Sancho, it feels like if he is successful in 1v1 situations on that right side against whether it's Balde, it likely will be Balde, it could be Alba, but against Balde, we have to say, does he need Delo coming forward to support him? And will, and does that leave space in behind? Or do you think Sancho is going to be up to, or is Ten Hag going to just trust him if they're going to counter press to, to win these 1v1 situations? All good questions. I mean, I think to me, the Jaden Sancho we've seen at United is not the same that we saw, you know, at some of his other stops. And I just don't think they've ever really gotten the best out of Jaden Sancho just yet. And, you know, part of that has to do with, I think, injury. And part of that has to do with changing managers already in his United career thus far. But yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see what he can do kind of isolated on that right wing. He's another guy too that, you know, they've used central at times they've used on the outside, but I do think that Delo can help take off some of that attacking pressure. Like he won't necessarily need to feel like he has to go one V one and do something on his own down that right flank because he should have Delo providing overlaps or underlaps or doing other things that can maybe help free him up a bit on that right side. So I think that is definitely a part of the game plan, but as you said, the more they get the low forward, the more vulnerable it leaves them to balls played in behind down that side. And so that's kind of the give and take with getting Shaw and DeLow forward is that it does leave them a bit vulnerable. And especially, again, as we talked about with Martinez out and, and if Harry Maguire is starting at left center back, let's say, I'd be a lot more worried about his ability to cover that space that Barcelona would be playing in behind than, you know, if, if Martinez was available. So it's it's to me, Sancho will be one of the most important players just because whether or not he has a strong game kind of may help determine how well United play in this game. If he kind of cuts as an isolated figure on the right and he's not having success cutting in or beating players one-on-one, you know, then I wouldn't be surprised to see him go to the bench uh, and, and try to make a change there because, uh, you know, that's that's just kind of been the, the, the Sancho that it's, at times uh, we've seen too much at United. So Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. I think that whether you see Maguire or Luke Shaw start at, left center back is going to be as well as how Sancho does in the first 10, 15 minutes, I think is indicative of how much Ten Hag wants to either high press or settle into a mid block. So I think that early success is going to dictate a bunch of this game again, but if a goal score in the first 10 minutes, throw everything that we've said basically out the window, because of course those goals change things. All right. Now we've only got a few left here. So Tifo did come out with a video last week that got some pretty big backlash from Manchester United fans disagreeing that Bruno Fernandez is a future problem for the team. He's a successful part and important part of what the team is constructed now. But the argument that Tifa was making that, of course, there's no nuance about was that at 28, he'll be in his 30s very soon. And especially if he signs a long term contract. And for the long run, having a player has as heliocentric pushing forward, you know, getting the ball in important spots to having your whole team kind of built around what Bruno Fernandez can give you. I think there is a concern. There's a worry about that because those players exist. Barcelona have seen it. The player that, in the case of Coutinho, isn't a great presser, doesn't give you a lot of control in a game because Bruno Fernandes, as as you see, his two best attributes are getting onto the ball and immediately making a good decision. It's either, is he passing? Is he shooting? Is he getting into important spots? 
And if he's, because he's not pressing and helping you win the ball back, if his decision-making isn't right on cue the minute he touches that ball, and if it isn't a perfect switch over to Rashford or he isn't getting a shot himself in an advantageous spot, well, then he kind of plays himself out of a game. So for you and Brennan Fernandez, where is your relationship, I think, individually with him? And how do you see the ceiling of what he offers this United team? Well, I mean, the first thing is he's been a massive improvement and it's kind of similar to what we've seen from Casemiro where it was basically instantaneous when he came in. I mean, this, the team just suddenly looked like they had ideas in the attack. They were looking more dangerous. They had an attacking midfielder who could score goals as well as assist. I mean, you know, it felt like it had been a while since they really had kind of a true number 10 style player that was a real threat. And also, again, very comfortable playing on the counter as well. As you said, if you get him a a ball, he's very good at just kind of taking that quick look before it gets to him and immediately smashing one, either a switch ball or playing something in for Rashford to run onto. So yeah, he's been huge and probably you'd say their most important player to the team over these past couple of seasons. As far as the future goes, I mean, it's always hard to kind of look at it in, in those terms. I mean... Right now, the way they're set up, they kind of rely on two players sitting behind him anyway to do a lot of the dirty work. And that's not to say that he doesn't hustle back and try to, you know, help in the defensive end when he can. I think he does. He His work rate is great to me. But yeah, I think that'll kind of be the question. At what point does it become a detriment to United that they kind of need to have two players sitting behind him always? Or are there certain opponents where maybe it doesn't make sense necessarily to feel like you need to have two players sitting behind him? Those are kind of all interesting questions. but. I think in terms of, yeah, what he's done and his impact so far, it's been well worth having to, you know, keep the the system like that. And, and now kind of even what we're seeing from Ten Hag at times is he's not afraid to put Bruno out on the right side. So we've seen him a few times at right wing and, and in other areas where he can just make sure he's high up the field and in advanced attacking positions. And, you know, if they decide to go that route, even in the future, maybe that might free up and uh, and get somebody who they think can do a little bit more of the running in midfield. That maybe is one way they can try to, you know, still hang on to him and use his attacking talents, even when maybe his legs aren't quite the same or uh, he's not quite able to, to run back or help in the, the counter press as much, things like that. Well, as he ages, you do have a little uh, contingent of young players that could be not even filling his space, but helping out and running for him. And so as far as 18-year-old left winger Alejandro Granacho, as you mentioned, and there's 20-year-old Anthony Alanga, 21-year-old Facunda Palestri, who hasn't really been the goal scorer you'd expect yet. But what should Kules have to kind of worry about with those three? And if you just want to talk about Granacho, that's totally fair too. But it, it is interesting to me that, that Ten Hag is saying, hey, when we need somebody, when our, our break class in case of emergency situation is all 21 years old or younger, all three of them. Yeah, I think that to me, Anthony and Garnacho are kind of being used in similar fashions right now. I mean, obviously, Anthony brings more of a pedigree in Europe already and brings that familiarity with Ten Hag already. So to me, that makes a lot of sense. But as we said, he kind of hasn't adapted maybe to the Premier League quite as quickly as some fans would have hoped. But he still scored some big goals already. And, you know, I think there's no question that you can see the talent out there. Um, as far as the confidence level, maybe it's not quite as high as it, as it would be when he's out there for Brazil right now, but I think the quality of player is there and he's a dynamic player from the right side, loves to cut in, loves to get his shot free, 
great on the dribble, you know, maybe to his own detriment, he probably gets cleaned out a few times here and there because of a of a nice dribble that he does to some of these opposing Premier League defenders. But, you know, on on the other side with Garnacho, it's kind of all vim and vigor, I guess, it, you know, if we, if we can use that phrase, just uh, an 18-year-old kid, basically, who doesn't know any better, I guess. That's also another thing that people like to say for a young guy. He just kind of comes in and he just already thinks he can do anything he wants at this level. And so far, you know, the results look promising. I know there's not as much tape on him as there are on some of these other guys. But yeah, to me, what I see from him is a guy who is super quick on the counter, loves to have the ball at his feet and run at defenders. And uh, another guy who as well is not afraid to take a shot on. So he's not going to be, you know, deferential to some of the older players and feel like once he gets to the box, he's got to look for a passing outlet. He's a guy who thinks he's going to go in and score it. And he's scored some massive goals already. Really nice near post finish, you know, in the most recent game against Leeds, where it kind of seemed like Melier was fully expecting him to be cutting in and, and looking for that far post, as we've seen a lot from Garnacho. And instead, he, you know, maybe is showing some of uh, some guile here, and yeah. instead goes with the near post finish and kind of catches Melier off guard. So, and and there's also his tendency to hit the Ronaldo celebrations every chance he gets, which yeah, I'm sure keep him away from Real Madrid. Yeah, gotta say no, say no. Where yeah. the new ownership is. Hopefully that I hope United are able to to also stave off some some we'll say dark money yeah. uh, ownership. Just continue to say no to everybody, <laughs> Tom. That's what I would recommend for Manchester United. But. Yeah, that's always the concern. But yeah, I, I just think uh, he's been really a joy to watch, and for a United team that sort of prides itself on building from the academy up. And of course, you know they have that you know well known streak in Europe for however many thousands of matches it is now where they've had an academy player at least on the bench in every game. You know he's just kind of the next guy to come up that again seems like he's uh, ready to make a, 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 an impact, maybe even sooner than some people expected. So, yeah, for sure. Now, yeah, we've kind of I think we've run through pretty much everybody. We uh, even mentioned De Gea in this. So, what is your expected eleven that Manchester United will likely throw out there? Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously it starts with De Gea. We talked about him and his ball playing. And I think even against Leeds, who are, you know, well known for their pressing, it was so maybe it was a good tune up for this United team to face them back to back games and kind of get some of that out of the way. But yeah, he'll be in goal. The low, I would fully expect at right back, Vereen at right center back. And then, yeah, this is kind of the, the first place it gets kind of interesting is with Maguire and Shaw, I guess, is, is who would be the preferred left center back. I mean, to me, I think. Malaysia is a bit limited in his defensive qualities right now. They, they kind of like to use him more when they know they're going to have possession because they want him to be getting forward. So in this game against Barca, I don't really know that that's going to be the case. And I don't think Ten Hag will maybe feel confident enough to, to want to use him in that situation. So I think with the way Maguire's played, I think he's earned it if, if he gets to start there. And then, yeah, obviously Shaw will be next to him. At left, at left back where he can kind of get free. And like I said, has been really making some nice goal contributions lately. I think for him, he's always been a guy that can get forward. Some some people have questioned his work rate over the years. Um, you know, I think Mourinho would kind of question his weight at times over the years, but he just looks like a player who's healthy and confident and is very good at getting forward, but also still tries to be responsible at left back in a way that maybe Delo doesn't quite give you the same defensive cover. But yeah, then moving into midfield, great. It'll be great to see Casemiro back there, partnering with his national team man in Fred, I think is probably going to be the case there. And then ahead of them in sort of the the one, or, or if, it, if we're talking of it as a 4-3-3, it'll be Bruno um, in kind of that free reign role ahead of the two deep-lying midfielders. That's sort of what I expect there. And then, yeah, I mean, I think 
Rashford is kind of nailed down on the left. Veghorst seems to be his preferred option up, up the middle. He's kind of come in and same thing has played almost every game since he's come in right away, uh, since coming in in January. And, uh, yeah, then on the right, it's kind of a big question. I think if you're picking between Anthony and Sancho, they both are kind of, uh, you know, have lacked confidence. Anthony may be a bit banged up as well, things like that we talked about. So I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Sancho there. And again, what a opportunity for him to have a statement game out from that right-hand side if he can, you know, put in a great performance and become a key cog in the attack. Uh, but that, that's that's pretty much how I expect it to go. And again, you know, we'll sort of see late in the match if Veghorst winds up coming out, Rashford could slide central, you might see Garnacho, or, you know, th- there's a lot of uh, room to shift things around. I mean, even late against Leeds, he almost dropped Veghorst a bit deeper, almost like in the way they used to use Fellaini and playing him kind of right underneath a top striker. So they could kind of get him the ball. He would hold it up for a second and then look to make a quick pass to some of the other guys running off of him and, you know, still have another guy ahead of him like Rashford. I think they moved to the center forward spot ahead of him at that point. But so definitely there could be some tactical nuance there. But otherwise, yeah, he's very much just a kind of hit it up to him, you know, center forward, prototypical, you know, hold up nine in that way. And, you know, again, to me, that just the, the main thing for him will probably be if he is holding it up, can he find some of those other guys making those runs in behind? Um, that's what I, where I think they'll they'll try to get the best out of Veghorst in that situation. Yeah, and then on the Barcelona side of it, it's interesting that you mentioned that United 11 because just trying to predict it, yeah, we pretty much know 9 to 11 are are, are solid, are yeah. guaranteed on. And you the way you just talk through the way Ten Hag is going to have to set his team up, I mean, I think Xavi probably has a 95% understanding of who is going to be in that 11. And the same thing goes for Ten Hag, though. Ten Hag knows that he's probably going to face... Uh, again, it's going to be Tersegan, obviously, but then likely Balde, could be Alba, but likely Balde, and then you're going to have Christensen, Kunde slash Araujo, what will be the wrinkle between center back and right back? Likely it'll be, I mean, if they, if he goes the way he's been going, it'll be Araujo and then Kunde as right back, but again, I could see the switch here because of dealing with Rashford, and then obviously you're going to have De Young, and then some combination of, is it Pedri in the double pivot, or is it Kessie, is it Gabi as the inside forward? I expect that. Then you'll have Rafinha and Lewandowski. So it's just a matter of the little nuances of where those puzzle pieces are going to go, and I think it does, of all the players we spoke about, the guys we kind of mentioned should be highlighted in these European nights. It's always the managers, right? It's not the players. It's the managers. It's, this is Ten Hag, who, uh, who Barcelona, I mean, they wanted. They talked to him before. They even talked to Xavi. And Xavi said, I'll stay in guitar. Ten Hag said, I, I've got another thing I'm working on. <laughs> and then he goes to United. So, of course, very similar ideas as well between these two. But, yeah, I'm looking forward to this. The first leg. Hopefully, it, it seems like it's going to be a banger like we would expect. So, Tom, I want to say, while well, your team is in white-hot form, you are in white-hot form today. So I really appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah, of course. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And yeah, I'm looking forward to, you know, it feels like a big European night, even though maybe it's not the traditional setting that we're used to seeing these two teams in. It does feel like a big European night. We talked about it. Some guys, are, I think, will really be looking to make a, a big statement for their teams. I think Ten Hag even for him, it'll, you know, there'll be a lot of attention on him and maybe people who don't follow the Premier League as much week to week will sort of be maybe using these legs as uh, to get an idea of how far uh, in the rebuild, I guess you could say United are, or if he's been able to kind of get some of his tactical new in, in, you know, set up and how is this United team playing how he wants them to play. So I think, yeah, there seems to be a lot on the line and certainly I'm looking forward to a couple of great matches. So. Well, the only last thing before you go, Tom, I do have some bad news. It, it came down the, I had mentioned that barcelblog.com will be updated. So I've been going behind the scenes, Google Analytics, working on that, working with a programmer. But 
I was given a notification yesterday that on July 1st of this season, our first, the first blog that you and I worked on together called The Pitchman, yeah. it's finally getting shut down on July 1st <laughs> because apparently over 10 years, we did not meet the analytical quota and Google Analytics has decided to shut us down. So unfortunately, Tom, while that chapter ended, I was finally glad 10 years later to have you on the Barcelona podcast. So really felt like it was bringing everything full circle. And uh, yeah, I think the European football gods kind of understood what the job was. Yeah, it's it's been fun thinking back to 10 years ago and, uh, you know, breaking down everything from uh, the U.S. men's national team to MLS to, of course, uh, Barca and United. So it's glad that we can kind of, again, come full circle back and talk about those two teams again here in this uh, very fun setting. So. Yeah, I will say I wrote 2,000 words on the Hungarian revolution and the players that came over. Eight people read it. So shout out to those eight <laughs> people. I also read a huge thing about the Brazilian government and the Brazilian national team and Socrates and everything throughout the 70s. And six people wrote that. I uh, read that. So shout out to those six people as well. <laughs> so you do have a few more months if you just want to go in some long form reading, if it's even searchable on, on the old Google machine anyway. But again, speaking of searchable, no good transition here as we wrap it up because this game, you don't need to search for it. You can just watch it. And I know everyone will be enjoying this game. For us, where are we searchable? We're the Barcelona Podcast. Of course, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, close Facebook group, Patreon, as well as YouTube. As I mentioned, new on TikTok, but also Barcelona.com is getting that facelift. So make sure you check out our content over there. And then, Tom, I guess, where can people find you in case there are United fans who happen to, to accidentally find this show and sat through it all? So where can we find you? Yeah, I'm at Twitter, at Tom underscore Verdi, like green. That's kind of my Twitter handle. That's where I'm following all of my United accounts on there and uh, keeping track of the team. And of course, I always like to see, you know, the reaction from some of the some of the big guys out there to see, you know, uh, what they're thinking. You know, it's kind of funny. I uh, I had just come across something like a time hop where a year ago, uh, Alex Shaw, one of the producers at ESPN, who's a big United guy, he posted, you know, you don't even have to watch United anymore. Just go out, live your life, enjoy those two hours and come back and check the score because it's not, you just know what's how they're going to play and it's not fun to watch. And, you know, you, you can just do other better things with those two hours. And so I'm very happy to say that since then, a lot has changed and United are finally fun to watch again. And it's been, a, you know, it feels like it's been a little while since we've been able to fully say that. So, you know, happy to ha follow guys like that on Twitter who can always uh, remind me that it was grim and uh, we're definitely in the brighter times now. I'm hoping. Samesy, samesy. So thanks for listening to the show. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Dan. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.